So we have been actually going through the book of Romans. Started in chapter 1, and we are all the way to chapter 12. I can't believe it. I've been kind of blazing through it a little too quickly, uh, to be honest with you. So we'll probably at some point again in the future, we'll come back to Romans. But I specifically wanted to walk through the book of Romans because it is such a powerful and poignant and timely letter from Paul. Paul the Apostle, if you guys don't remember Paul, Paul was actually Saul. And Saul was actually a, a, a Pharisee. He was actually a, a Jew who was an educated Jew in God's law. And when he heard about this thing called you know, Christianity, I mean, it wasn't called Christianity at that point, but when he heard the, the, these people that were followers of the Christ... It was, it was one of his jobs to go out and stop it. Saul, uh, you know, literally was appointed by the Pharisees to go out and stop this new movement that was happening. And he did. He went out. And we, we actually hear of Saul the very first time when the story of, um, of Stephen, one of Christ's, you know, uh, disciples, when Stephen is out preaching, and of course... He's stoned. And it says that as they are laying, you know, their coats aside, that they're literally laying them at the feet uh, of a a man named Saul. We know that to now be Paul. What What is so important about knowing who, you know, who Paul is, is as he's writing and as he's talking to us, you know, one of the things that that he calls himself constantly is, is me chief of sinners. I'm the biggest sinner of them all. I was a murderer. I was literally murdering God's people. And then we know, you know, his story. He's on the road to Damascus and literally on the road to Damascus as he's on the hunt, as he's literally going to hunt down Christians and kill them, God meets him right there. Literally, Jesus shows up in this blinding light that blinds him physically. And Jesus speaks to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he instantly knows that it's God. He instantly repents. And it's interesting that even though physically he is blinded, for the very, very first time, his heart is opened up. He's finally seeing with his spiritual eyes. And in that moment, he comes and he believes in the very, very one that he was persecuting. He now gives his life over and, and, and God turns his name, he changes his name. You will no longer be called Saul, you will now be Paul. Because you have a new life. Something has changed in you. And Paul goes on to be actually one of our greatest apostles. One of the greatest, you know, leaders of the early church. And he writes these letters to churches. And, and we've, been, we've been looking at specifically his letter to the, the Romans. To the church in Rome, not just to Rome itself, but to the church that was founded in Rome. And he hadn't been there yet. He hadn't been there. This church had started, it most likely it started back on the day of Pentecost, you know, when Peter's out there and he gives that great message and many, many come to know the Lord. And there must have been some that had gone back to their home in Rome and started a church. And he wrote a letter to them and he's encouraging them. But what I love about Paul is Paul does not mince words. Paul speaks the truth. He says, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. 
And the bad news is, is that sin is real. And the reason why he's, 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 he's encouraging them and, and why he's, you know, kind of painting this picture and he really, you know, kind of comes right at him and said, listen, you guys, sin is sin and it is bad and it leads to death. Because, you know, at the time they were living in Rome and sin was abundant. Sin was all around them. In fact, you know, Romans believed in all kinds of gods. And not only did they believe in all kinds of gods, they were open to you believing whatever it is that you wanted to believe yourself. They didn't care. You could worship and do whatever you wanted. That was Rome. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that have a hint of familiarity about it? Because it does to me. And that is why I wanted to look at the book of Romans. Because Paul is addressing all these things that maybe at one and 2,000 years ago was happening. It's happening again. We are coming and living in a culture that it seems like do whatever you want. Worship however you want. Live your life however you want. But Paul says there's a problem with that. That it leads to destruction. That if you do not know the truth, if you do not know the truth and you leave yourself to your own flesh and you leave yourself to your own desires and you leave yourself, you know, to just do whatever it is that you want, he says that ultimately leads to death. So he kind of paints this picture of the bad news. But then he says, guess what? There's good news. There's good news for those of you who feel trapped in sin, for those of you who feel like, yeah, I don't really want to live this kind of life. I don't know how to live any other kind of life. He says this, all you need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. All you need to do is have faith. He even says this, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you confess with your mouth, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's it. It's, it's the only religion that is founded on faith and faith alone. There's, he, you know, Paul goes on to say there's nothing that you can do. You, you could be a good person all your life. That doesn't matter. You can be a good person because here's the problem, the difference between being a good person and having faith. Being a good person says, I did it. I did it. It's prideful. It's arrogant. It's look at me. Look how good I am. I'm the one who's accomplished this. Faith says it's not about me. In fact, I'm a real mess up. In fact, I'm a loser. You know, I'm dirty. I'm broken. I'm the biggest sinner. Like Paul says, I'm the biggest sinner of them all. But faith still comes and saves me. Faith still comes and forgives me. You know, faith... Faith says it's not about me, it's about God. It's about nothing I can do. There is nothing that you can do, Paul says, to earn it. You simply have to believe. You simply, simply have to believe. And Paul goes on and he, and he, he hammers sin and he talks about sin and he talks about that we need to recognize it. And that's what's happening in our culture. It's starting to become gray it's starting to become whitewashed. It's starting to become, I mean, literally, we're, you know, we're getting to a culture. And I love that Chuck started in Isaiah because Isaiah had said it all those, who knows, hundreds of years prior. Isaiah said, you know, woe, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, woe. Because listen, you guys, it only leads to death. 
it only leads to destruction. Maybe, you know, it's not going to happen for you tomorrow, but there is going to come a day when you will have to stand before God. There is going to come a day, the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess on that day of judgment. That is why it is so critical and so important, you guys, that now we get our hearts right, that now we come before the Lord and say, we give you our lives, we give you our hearts, because I am a sinful person and I cannot do it on my own strength. And Paul's real. That's the one thing about Paul when you read his letters. He is real. He, he doesn't mince words. He kind of comes out hard, but then he, he self-reflects and he said, by the way, you guys, I'm the worst one of them all. So if I dare come before you and say, do this, I'm speaking to myself. Paul even gets even real in the book of Romans and he says, all the things that I want to do, I don't do. And all the things, you know, that I do, I don't want to do. There's this constant conflict in my life. Paul admits it, but he admits that he needs a savior he admits that he needs Jesus Christ in his life. He admits that he needs to, you know, completely sacrifice his life for God so that he can have it. So let's start in chapter 12, as I've given kind of a little update from, you know, one to there. And, and he finally, Paul now finally shifts from talking about sin and from talking about belief and from talking about faith. And Paul starts to get in kind of the... the the, the fundamentals, the meat, the how-tos. He starts to say, we need to do this. We need to be living this way. We need to be acting this way. We need to be conduct. I mean, he literally starts just, you know, painting the picture for us of how we should be conducting ourselves as Christians. So let's start. I'm going to read in um, uh, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation just because it, reading it flows uh, real easily. But um, I do love other translations as well. But here we go. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, you guys, love is sacrificial, okay? Love is sacrificial. So, so when, when Paul is saying, live your lives sacrificially, it, you know, they, they used to, what they used to do and what Paul is actually referencing is he, is he was talking about when the Jews for the forgiveness of their sin, they would have to sacrifice an animal. An animal had to be sacrificed. Something had to die in their place just so that they could approach God. Because sin is what separates us from God. And, and there needs to be that payment. There needs to be that blood covering. There needs to be that life given so that we can be reunited back with God. And of course, because Jesus did that once and for all, we don't have to sacrifice an animal anymore. Thank God. Right? I love our little dog. Right? I love our little dog, Chasey. I'm glad we don't have to sacrifice her. And so I'm so happy. Right? But Paul goes even further. He says, listen, you know, we all know that Jesus, you know, is the ultimate sacrifice. But then he says, but, but make your bodies, make your lives a, a living sacrifice. 
What does that mean, you guys? It means that we don't live to self-indulge. It means we, it's, we're not living just to please our own selves, that if we all have this attitude of, God, I am going to make my life in service to you, that that's when you guys are going to see miracles. That's when you guys are going to see God do amazing things through you, that when we live life in that way, that, you guys, is what truly love is. It's easy, you guys, to do what the world is doing, and believe you me, I have been caught up in that. See, God says, or, or Paul is saying that let God transform the way you think. Let him renew your mind. Because to be honest with you, we, we're all born into a way of thinking. We're all raised a certain way, right? Right? We're all raised in a certain culture, and, and your culture teaches you things. You know, I, I was uh, raised, uh, obviously, very influenced by my Italian heritage, and there were certain things that we did that Italians do, right? It's what you do. We eat well, we party well, we, get to, we gather well, we talk loud, we move our hands and speak with our hands. You know, these are things that we do. These are kind of these things that have been ingrained in me, and there was things that were taught. But then there's just simple things that, that are, that are the, the culture around us. And I, I grew up in Southern California, and there's just a way you do things, right? Right? There's just a simple way that growing up in Southern California that they don't do on the East Coast, right? People give us a hard time because we, we refer to all of our freeways starting with the, Right? You know, there's the 91, there's the 605, there's the 5, there's the... And I didn't know that, that we were doing that until you go back east or in the south and they go, why do you say the in front of everything? <laughs> I don't know. We just do. That's just that way I was raised. That's the way my mom did it. That's the way my dad did it. That's the way everybody around me. But it's funny, if you get out of California, people think it's so strange that we say the when referring to a highway. We're referring to, you know, whatever freeways are around. They think it's strange. I think it's normal. But Paul's saying, listen, there's a way the world does things. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not always right. The world does what it wants to do. People selfishly do what they want to do, whatever's going to benefit them. Don't be conformed to that but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Lord, help me to think. Help me to think as you think, not just because that's the way the world thinks, you know? Do I need to call it the 91 or the 605? You know what I mean? Do I need to, you know, and obviously I ain't going to stop that. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> but we need to ask ourselves, is the way I'm thinking, I mean, just because the world says it, and to be honest with you, the world is rapidly changing, and even the world's stance on things is rapidly changing. That's why we need the Word of God. That's what Paul is saying. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't just go along with whatever the news and whatever you know, social media and whatever the world collectively is telling you to do. Does it line up with the Word of God? Is it what God says? Because what God says, if we follow that, it will lead to life. If we continue to follow the world, it will only lead to destruction. Verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. 
warning, warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out uh, with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Listen, Paul, Paul is trying to make a point here. He's saying, we need each other, you guys. We need each other. And he starts off by saying, don't think of yourself higher. He's really talking to the church. He's not, he's not talking to you as an individual. He's talking to the church. He's saying, listen, there is no one in this gathering that is more important than the other. Okay? I am not more important than you are. I just have a different gifting. Okay? The person who stands in the back is no less than any of you. They just have a different gifting. God created all of us different for a purpose so that we would need each other, so that we would work together. You guys, the, the, the church is the body, and the body has many parts, right? Paul says in, in another letter, he says, who does the foot think he is if he calls out to the nose or something like this and says hey we have no use for you how dare we how dare we ever look at anyone in this place and say we don't need you you're you're less than there are no you know grade levels in christianity there's just different giftings so here i want to encourage you to do this figure out and find out what your giftings are what is it that you love to do? And Paul even kind of lists some. He doesn't list them all. But he says, are you an encourager? Do you, are, do you always find yourself kind of trying to uplift other people? Then he says, continue to do it. Are, are, you, a, are you a person that likes to have people over to your home and, and, and you love to take care of them? Do that more. Are you a person who just has this bold faith and you love to speak out what the word of God says? He says, do it with courage. Listen, you need to find out what your giftings are. You need to find out what God wants to use you because we need the body of Christ, you guys. There is a world that is dying. There is a world that is getting darker and darker and darker. And we need the body of Christ to come together. And we need the body of Christ to stop arguing with each other we need the body of christ to stop pointing fingers and saying i'm better than you are and you're i don't need you and blah 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 blah. we need to stop that we need to come together because you know what jesus said to peter he said peter you are the rock and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it that's us when we come together that's us verse 9 don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. 
I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't love everybody. Sorry. I apologize. But sometimes, and by the way, we do this in church, and I don't know why we do that. We put on that fake, hi, so good to see you. Like, oh, gosh, you know. We do that. We're human. It's okay. We're human. But Paul's encouraging. He says, listen, take it a step further. Really love people. Don't put on that fake church smile when you walk into church and you're just, oh, so good to see you. I hope I never see that person again. Really love them. Get to know them. But I love that he kind of throws in there. He does say, listen, hate what is evil. There's evil in the world. Hate, hate evil. Don't, don't hate the person. Hate what is evil, right? Hate what is evil. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That means, you guys, always putting other people above, above yourself. Always putting other people's needs above yourself. If we all did that for each other, can you imagine the love that would be going around? And again, it's a love that the world does not understand because, again, the world says that love is self-indulgent. The world is selfish. The world is me, me, me. me, What can I do for me, me, me that I feel better? But Paul is saying that's not what love is. Love is, you know, this kind of giving of yourself constantly, serving others, honoring others. Hate what is wrong. You guys, there is so much that is wrong in our culture. But we need to bring people into the truth. And the only way we're going to do that is by loving them. It doesn't mean, and hear me, and I'm gonna, you're going to hear me repeat this a lot. It doesn't mean that we ignore it. Paul says, hate what is evil, but love people. Love people. Let's bring people into the truth and let the Holy Spirit convict them. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. And hopefully by them seeing our lives and us continuing to, you know, lift up and honor them, that they'll want to change. Verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everybody. You guys, Paul literally just, there's a list. There's a list of the things that we should be doing. And can I tell you, in the tumultuous climate right now of our culture, this is needed. This is needed. I mean, literally, this needs to be read daily over the news and daily over the radio and daily because if every one of us treated each other like this, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, 
I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I want to use this scripture to just kind of make a point. And, and to be honest with you, I don't ever like to get political or, or anything like that. But I, I, there is something that's been burning on my heart that I just want to share with you as the church. I feel, you guys, all of the issues that we are having, you know, out there politically or whatever it is, the things, the injustices that we are seeing, I want to say as the church, we need to stop depending on government to fix it because they never will because they're humans, because they're also constantly changing. And to be honest with you, they're mostly self-seeking. But you want to know what? This is the part that gets me fired up. Why aren't we, the church, going out there and doing something about it? Why aren't we, the church, going out there and, and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and, and, and coming and, and helping the foreigner? Why aren't we, the church, doing something about it? Listen, I don't put the responsibility on government. I put the responsibility on us because we are the only ones that come with the authority and the power of God with us. It's life-changing. You see, the government will only be a Band-Aid for something. But when Jesus comes into someone's life, when he comes and touches them, he radically transforms them then we won't have to be afraid if foreigners you know, are coming over in the thousands and millions or whatever. We, don't have, we won't have to be afraid if the church is out there in force, you know, affecting their lives and blessing them and feeding them and ministering to their needs. It will change them. They will be transformed. They don't know why they're coming here. They're fleeing something, but they don't realize that, they, that America, we used to send out the most missionaries ever before now guess what you guys they're coming to us we don't have to go out into all the world anymore all the world is coming here to southern california you can be a missionary in your own neighborhood you can be a missionary in your own backyard i don't put the responsibility on government because they'll fail miserably and they will continue to fail no matter who is running things but you guys the church us, we won't fail. We won't fail because we have the power of God behind us. We have the power of God before us. We have the Holy Spirit in us who guides us. That is why we are doing what we're doing on the 29th. Because we're not going to stand around and we're not going to hope that somebody else is going to fix our problems. That somebody else is going to take care of it. No, we are going to go get our hands dirty and we're going to hang out with some people that are going to be a little smelly. And we're going to hang out with some people that are going to be a little dirty. But guess what? Jesus wants to change them. He wants to save them. And he wants to let them know that he loves them. And how are they going to know that they're loved if we, the church, don't go out and let them know it? All right. Chapter 13. I'm not going to do chapter 14. We're going to just finish in chapter 13. It's not a very long chapter. Verse 1, everyone must submit to governing authorities, 
For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities, do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for you, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. What's interesting about this passage is you would think Paul has been watching the nightly news. You would think Paul is literally speaking directly to us, but obviously this was a problem even back then. This was a problem even in, in Rome, that the Christians you know, were like, hey, we're Christians, we don't need to do what you say, we don't need to, you know, but and again, this was Rome. Rome was godless. But Paul was still encouraging, listen, respect authority, you guys. Respect authority. The only reason you should be fearing authority is because you did do something wrong. Okay, Let's talk about it. Paul is making it very clear that we need to obey the authority. But listen, it's not necessarily the person who's godly, but it's the system that God has, has put together, right? We need the system because without it, it would be anarchy. It would be chaos. Without those who are out there to protect us, you know, our, our, our police force, our, our firemen, you know, our military, without them, you guys, it would be utter chaos. God created that. God created those, those people to protect us. So is there a time that we can rebel against authority? The only time that we are allowed as Christians to rebel against authority is when our governing authority is asking us to rebel against God and his commandments. We can look at the stories of Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament literally defied authority. The, they, when they heard the sounds and the trumpets being played and all that kind of stuff, they were supposed to bow before this idol and they were supposed to you know, bow before the king. And of course, you all know the story. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego stood there and didn't move. And what did they do? They threw them in a fiery furnace. But see, because they were honoring God... God came and protected them. God came. Now listen, here's the thing. There are consequences to our actions, and that's what you need to think through. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that the consequence for their actions was that they were going to be thrown in that furnace. So they were prepared to give their lives for what they believed, okay? They were prepared. They, there was no fight. There was no you know, big rally, uh, you know, against it. There was no, like, everybody, come on, rally around, Shadrach, Meshach. You know, there was none of that. There was literally no fight. They knew what the consequence for their rebellion was. But see, God came through. And God was shown holy. And God was shown mighty. And we saw a miracle out of it because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even when defying authority, still submitted to it at the same time. They said, we know what the consequences are. So listen, here's what Paul's trying to say. There are times that our convictions might be tested, but realize that no matter what and no matter where you are, that there will be a price for your decision, even when it's godly, but trust in God. Trust in God that even as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even as Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den, and even Paul, 
Even Paul himself was beaten, was thrown in jail because of preaching, you know, the good news when he was told to stop. But he never fought them. He always, you know, when they would come and they'd shackle him up, they'd throw him in the prisons. Guess what he would do? He'd preach in the prisons. And God always came through for him. He even released him one time. An angel came and, they, you know, they, they took him out and, the, you know, there was an earthquake and the whole bit. God still, listen, we just need to understand that there is an authority there. There are people put in place for our protection that we need to understand there is consequence for our actions. There is consequences if there is a law and that law says don't do this and you do it, that we are still bound by that law, that even if it's a law that goes against our own beliefs and we stand up against that law, there's still going to be consequences. Are you willing to give your life? Are you willing to give your life? All right, moving on. Verse 6, Paul goes on, pay your taxes for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. It's pretty straightforward. Verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrongs to others, so love fulfills the requirements of the law. Paul's even finally going back, he says, all right, you want to talk about the law again? Remember, I was telling you not to get hung up with the law, but if you just can't seem to, you know, get over the fact that you want to keep God's laws and, you know, the Ten Commandments and all that stuff, he says, then do this. Just simply love each other. Because by doing that, then, you know, then you won't break any of the Ten Commandments. And obviously, you know, the first and, and most important thing is to love God. And if we're loving God and if we're loving each other, then you will keep the law. Then you will fulfill the law. You guys, we need to do a better job of that. We need to do a better job of loving God and loving each other. Verse 11. Almost done. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer uh, than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or immoral living or quarreling or jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Paul is he's sounding urgent in this moment. He's saying, guys... Guys, wake up. There's little time left. Jesus is coming back. It was one of the things that Jesus said when he ascended back into heaven and the angels came down and he said, likewise, he will come back down. Jesus is coming back for us, you guys. This world as we know it is slowly coming to an end and you can see it. The Bible talks about birth pains. The Bible talks about the earth itself groaning 
right? That we can see the floods, we can see the devastation, we can see the earthquakes, we can see volcanoes exploding, we can see that sin is abounding, we can see it seems like chaos is all around me. These are the signs of the times. And I'm sorry. And Paul is saying, you guys, wake up. All right? Stop slumbering. Stop thinking like, oh, I got time, or, or I can do whatever I want. Paul is saying the time is near. He's saying today, stop it and stop living your lives for God. Again, remember, it's not a selfish thing. It's so that we can go out and we can be a light to a world that, that, that is so dark. You guys, God needs you. The world needs you. And they don't even know it. But the longer that we continue to kind of hide in the darkness, the longer that we continue just to kind of live selfishly and do what we want to do, it literally not only is that devastation for you, but that is one less light that could go out into the world and make a difference. I'm going to close with this story. I was at a memorial yesterday of a, of a, a woman that my family and I have known for years. My mom actually got to speak at it, and she had known uh, this woman for 50 years. My mom was 16. She was working in a, a diner. She was a waitress, and this woman and her family would come in once a week on Wednesday nights. And my mom just said this woman would just speak life to her, would just bless her, and eventually they invited my mom to church, and my mom uh, you know, eventually started going uh, to that same church as them. My mom says, uh, her name was Betty. My mom says that Betty was a spiritual mom to her. What was awesome was we're at this memorial service and you could see, so let, let me explain something. Uh, Betty uh, couldn't have children of her own. She ended up adopting uh, twin girls. But to hear all of the stories of Betty touched my life, Betty touched my life. Betty meant this to me. Betty meant that to me. Betty did this for us. Betty spoke into my life. Betty, Betty, Betty. People went on and on and on about the impact that one person had on them. And it was affecting generations. That could be you. You could be Betty. You could be Betty. Let me tell you what Betty did. Betty served the Lord. Betty served the Lord wholeheartedly. She let nothing waver her. Nothing. She battled sicknesses. She battled arthritis for years and years and years. They, you know, in the last, boy, 15-ish years, she was pushed around in a, in a wheelchair. But that didn't stop her. Nothing stopped her. You guys, we need more Bettys in this world. Because let me tell you something. Betty went home. And there's no more Betty here to be that light. But there is you. There is you. For you are the light of the world. For you are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is have faith, Paul says. That's it. That's it. And then God gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to strengthen us, to give us courage, to, to help us do all the things that we can't do, to get us through all the things that there's no way we'd be able to get through on our own. Amen? Amen. Will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me?